So we're here in part three of Life Lessons from Prison, and here in this series we're talking about those times in our lives when we just sort of feel like we're imprisoned by something, or restricted by something, or confined by something. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have kind of made my own prison by something dumb that I have said. Um, Often it's with my wife, Uh, I get myself in trouble there, and it's always hard to kind of get yourself out of those prisons. A few weeks ago, it was a really hot day, and so we got into the car, and you know when your car is just like almost on fire, it's so hot on the inside, and you know how like if you touch like your buckle with your arm accent, it's like, you're like, ah, you know, and you basically get branded, my name's, like my arm says Honda now, (laughs) it's like, great. So you got got that whole thing going on, and so we get in the car, and I just said, oh man, it's so hot, and my wife thought I said, she was so hot. And so she goes, me? And I just kind of went with it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, baby, you, you know? And then she realized what happened. She's like, don't try to pull that on me. So completely busted in prison real soon. But then it's okay because uh, a few weeks later, we're sitting in the car again and we're driving. And we're talking about someone that we've never met, but different people, many different people have said that me and this guy are so much alike and we remind each other so much of each other and this whole deal. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, this guy's just like Doug and the whole deal. And so she's like, you know, I've seen a picture of him. And, and, you know, just so you know, he's actually, he's the uglier version of you. Uglier <laughs> version of you. So I'm ugly, but this guy takes it up a notch. I mean, dang, it's just, it's just bad. Now, Kelly's not the kind of person to say if someone's ugly. She, she, and she, she's in her prison now. She's trying to explain. No, because if I said that you're the better looking version, then that's saying that I think he's good looking. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. Nice try. Uglier. Yeah, uh-huh. All right, I see how it is. So sometimes we get ourselves stuck in these prisons of our words. But in life, there are just confinements and restrictions all around. And it can be so frustrating sometimes as we're trying to just live life and get where we want to get and even sometimes be where we feel God wants us to be. And we keep running into the sort of these prison walls or these prison doors that are staying locked shut on us. So here in this series, we're looking in the Bible at people who were in literal prison cells. Like you and I are in literal prisons. We're in situations that sometimes feel like prison. But we're looking at the Bible at people and trying to learn from them. What can, I, what can I see in this person's life while they were in the prison that I could draw into my life to make a difference? And so far, we've, saw, we've seen in week one, we saw that we can praise in our prison because we keep our eyes on God's goodness in week two, right? We saw that God is with us in the prison and we need him there more than ever. We can have this up-to-date relationship with God. So often we believe the lie. Oh, I can't be close to God in the prison. And last week we saw Joseph was, was close to God, up-to-date relationship with God in the prison. Now today I want to talk with you guys about the prisons of unforgiveness and bitterness. And here's how these ones kind of play out. There's a couple different ways. One of the ways these play out is you just go through something difficult, someone hurts you, and you get bitter, or you start to harbor some unforgiveness in your heart toward those people. Or you go through something difficult, and you figure it's God's fault, so you get better at Him. So that's one way this works out. But another way this works out is, is sometimes when we're in the prison, the bitterness kicks in. Sometimes when we're in the prison, the unforgiveness kicks in because we start to say, God, you put me in this prison. Or you look at somebody in your life and think, your gossip put me in this prison. Your lying put me in this prison. You stabbing me in the back put me in this prison. And sometimes, think about this, sometimes we blame ourselves about the certain prison that we might find ourselves in, right? It's like, man, this is totally my fault and I just can't ever forgive myself. And so sometimes we end up maybe angry at God or somebody else or ourselves, and then suddenly we feel like we're in this prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's so important that we talk about this because none of us want to stay in this prison, right? One of the things I've shared with you guys in the past is that sometimes 
we believe this lie and we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that as long as we stay in the prison, we're punishing the person that hurt us. You know what I mean? And the reality is, is no, they, half the time they don't even know or care, sadly, and yet we're the ones stuck in the prison. So sometimes I think we do believe that, and it's like, no, I want to stay in here, because as long as I stay in here, I'm hurting them or I'm paying them back, which is a total misunderstanding, right? But none of us at the end of the day would say, yeah, I just really want to stay in this prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. I think we all want out. Even modern medicine points out the risks of staying bitter and the benefits of forgiving. Check this out. This is from John Hopkins Medicine. Chronic anger puts you into a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. But listen to this. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. So even your body is crying out, Let me free of this prison of unforgiveness and bitterness. And so this is so important. We need to talk about this here tonight. And whether you're bitter toward God, a person, or yourself, whether you're swearing tonight, I will never forgive God, I'll never forgive them, I'll never forgive me. Tonight I want to talk with you about how to forgive. And here's the thing, and I think that hopefully this will encourage you, is so often we hear in church, you know, you should forgive. You should forgive. But tonight, I really want you to see how to forgive. I want you to see something that I think will become a motivator and an equipper for you to be able to forgive. We're going to see this huge key here tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this whole struggle is something you go through every day too, right? There are people who hurt you. There are people who wronged you. And so now you have the choice, am I going to just stay in this prison of anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, or am I going to maybe act completely differently, maybe even surprise myself and them with my response. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Now, some of you guys, too, might not be followers of Jesus because one day you got bitter at God. You got angry at God. And so tonight I want to talk with you guys about that as well. And at the end of the message, we're going to talk about the biggest prison God ever busted us out of. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to quickly kind of catch up on what we looked at last week because we're going to kind of continue the story of Joseph. And as I said last week, If you're thinking, oh, I know the story of Joseph, I could just nap and wake me up when it's all over. I learned so much. And I've heard the story of Joseph preached. I've preached the story of Joseph before. But I learned so much as I was working through this message in this past week. And so I know and pray that you will as well. So last week we saw, we kind of started with Joseph having this dream. God gave Joseph a dream. And the dream was that his brothers would bow down to him, right? That he'd be in this place of authority over them. And as I said last week, you might think that's sort of weird that God would speak to somebody through a dream. But this is a theme through Joseph's life. And I told you guys last week, God doesn't speak to me through dreams, right? I have really weird dreams. And I shared one of them with you last week. And Kelly and I were laughing about a few more of my weird dreams this past week. One night she woke up and I'm sitting up in bed and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like going like this. She's like, Doug, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm counting. She's like, what are you counting? I'm like, I'm trying to count and make sure all the people are here. She's like, who's supposed to be here? This is our bedroom, you know? She's totally creeped out. And then a few weeks later, I, I get up out of bed at 3 in the morning, and I start to get dressed, and I start to walk down the stairs, and Kelly comes chasing after me. She's like, Doug, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the church to fix the lights. Go back to bed. Very condescending sleepwalker, I'm telling you. It's horrific. I feel like every morning I should just wake up and apologize to my wife, wife for probably what I said to her the night before. So I don't have dreams from God. I I have weird dreams, but Joseph, through his whole life, would experience God using this theme of dreams in his 
life. And so Joseph has this dream about his brothers, tells them, which was dumb, tells them the dream. Joseph's father loved Joseph more than the other brothers, and so they hated him, right? So one day, Joseph's dad says, hey, go check on your brothers. You're out tending a sheep in Dothan. Go check on and make sure they're okay. So Joseph's on his way to go see how they're doing. And when he gets there, remember last week, these guys attack him and throw him into a cistern or a well. Let me ask you a question. We're just going to stop here. We didn't bring this up last week. Have you ever been on a journey or on your way or you've gone out of your way to go do somebody good and then they respond horrifically to you? That's where Joseph is right now. And they throw him into this cistern and then they sell him into slavery, right? And last week we looked at four different prisons that Joseph was in, right? He was in the cistern, then he was in the caravan for two weeks on the way to Egypt. Then he was in Potiphar's house as a slave, and then he was in the literal prison. And in these four prisons, what we see is so amazing. We see that Joseph keeps an up-to-date relationship with God, right? When the other guys in the prison have the dreams, and they say, we don't know what this is all about, and they come to Joseph, he says, I can't interpret this, but God can. And we see him tight with God in the middle of all that. Now, we're going to kind of start afresh here tonight with the rest of the story with Joseph here. And so, Joseph interprets the dream, and here's what he says to the cupbearer. He says, hey, just so you know, that dream means that Pharaoh is going to give you your job back. But listen, when you get out of this prison, please tell him about me. Please tell him I'm in here, and I'm not guilty, and I should be released And we find out in Genesis 40, verse 23, what happens. It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So think about this for a second. Isn't this a place where bitterness could creep back in Joseph's heart? Right? Have you ever been there where you think you're about to get out of a prison and then you're stuck all the more? And so here is Joseph wrestling with this, I'm sure, thinking, I can't believe this. But we don't even know the half of it. Listen to the next verse, Genesis 41.1. When two full years had passed, Joseph was in the prison for another two years because the cupbearer forgot to mention him. Again, man, that must have been a really difficult time to not get angry, to not become bitter, to not have unforgiveness well up in his heart. Think about it. I, I, I would be struggling with this. I know I would have been going, God, I was this close to getting out. And yet this guy forgets me and here I am. God, how could you allow this? Or maybe... What about blaming all the people in his life he could be angry at right now, right? His brothers, obvious, there are kind of obvious ones. But what about his dad, right? His dad hears his brothers tell him, hey, Joseph's dead. He doesn't even go check. He doesn't even go look. I mean, isn't he supposed to go all Liam Neeson out there and get his kid back, right? Well, what else? How about, how about the, 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 the wife of Potiphar who said Joseph tried to come after her and lied and set Joseph up. What about Potiphar himself? Joseph didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife to honor God and to honor Potiphar. And what does Joseph get for it? Potiphar throws him in prison. What about the cupbearer? Somebody else he could be bitter at. I can't believe he didn't remember to tell Pharaoh about me. And so here we have all these different people Joseph could be mad at. You know who else he could be mad at? Really, he could be mad at himself. Only I hadn't told my brothers about that dream. I maybe never would have ended up in here. Right? So all these potential people, between God, others, and himself, he could have been bitter toward. Is this what you and I struggle with? Yeah, man, every day of our life, this is the kind of stuff we struggle with. The people we're going to be bitter at, God, or even maybe ourselves. 
Genesis 41, 1, we're going to continue. It says this, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. So Joseph is sitting in the prison cell, and Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer is close enough to hear Pharaoh talk about the dream, and the cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, I was supposed to tell you about this guy named Joseph. He was able to tell me what my dream meant, and everything he said came true, because God gave him the interpretation of that dream. So Genesis 41, check out the screens. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought in from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And here Joseph says, no, I don't do that anymore. Here Joseph says, no, that God, he's abandoned me. Do you know what he let my brothers do to me? Do you know how long I sat in a prison and rotted? No, that's not what Joseph said. Look what Joseph said in the next part, verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What do we see again? We see Joseph is close to God in the middle of his prison, which means he has not let bitterness and unforgiveness take root in his heart. It's obvious that he's not bitter at God because he's tight with God and says, hey, he could tell you the, the interpretation of this dream. But I would also say it's obvious that he's not bitter at his brothers. Do you know why? Because you can't be close to God and right with God when you're bitter and unforgiving toward others. In fact, read this along with me on the screen. We're not right, when we're not right with people, we're not right with God. This is like going to be an arrow to some of our hearts tonight. But this is the reality. When we're not right with people, we're not right with God. Like sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking we're right. You know, sometimes we're like, okay, I'm okay, things are cool, I hate him, I hate her, but we're, we're good, God. And what we need to remember tonight is that when we're not right with people, when we're not right with the people around us, we are not right with God. There's a problem there. How do I know this? I'll give you a couple examples. First off, personal experience. In the fall of, of I was, believe it was November of 2008, Kelly and I had our one and only fight. In, I'm completely kidding. I, I wish that would be great. No, but we argue sometimes, right? And every time I let bitterness and un- or unforgiveness well up in my heart, do you know what I can't do? I can't pray. I can't worship. I can't sit in my Bible and get anything out of it. You know why? Because when we're not right with people, we're not right with God. It feels like there's a wall between me and God when I'm not right with my wife. And so I know just from experience that we've got to get right with people if we want to be right with God. Another reason I know is because Jesus himself said, He tells this story about somebody who had been forgiven this huge debt and then couldn't forgive somebody else for a small debt. And so I know Joseph wasn't bitter toward his brothers because he was right with his God. And so here we see that, man, Joseph was able to have his heart soft toward God and soft toward the people in his life. And you might say, well, how, Doug? How was he able to do that? Well, we're going to see that as we continue here. But we have to remember, man, when you want to be right with God, you've got to be a forgiving person, right? We heard years ago, right? Forgiven people forgive. And this doesn't mean that everything's always perfect, every detail's worked out. It also doesn't mean if we're in some kind of an abusive relationship that we put ourselves in there to get abused again. You can forgive somebody without putting yourself back in there to get abused again. But what did Joseph keep in mind that enabled him to not get better? We're going to see that. But let me summarize a little more. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream, and Joseph says, okay, Pharaoh, here's what the dream means. It means for seven years in Egypt, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be an abundance of food, but then there's going to be a famine. So get somebody really smart so that they can save during those seven years of plenty for the seven years of lack. 
Joseph here is seen to be somebody that can be trusted. You know what that means? It means that God was at work in Joseph in the prison, and Pharaoh noticed it. And this is something I've been trying to drive home all series. Your prison cells are not just for you. The good God wants to do in the, in the lives of people is not just about you when you're in your prison cell, right? Read this along with me. People are supposed to notice what God does in us as a result of our time in the prison. And guys, that can't happen when we're bitter. Like, no one's going to look at me in the middle of a difficult situation, if I'm all angry and raging against God and everybody around me and go, man, I just see the Holy Spirit all over you, brother. Right? No, I've got to be responding in a way with a heart that's soft toward God and soft toward people in the middle of my prison so that God, and and, um, rather the people around me, can see and go, man, I don't know what's going on with this guy, and I'm sorry he's in the middle of this, but God's up to something. And that's what Pharaoh saw in Joseph, someone that God was with and someone that God could use to solve this huge problem. And Joseph was 30 years old when Pharaoh put him in charge. Genesis 41, 51, we see this whole different phase of Joseph's life. Now he's married, he's got some kids. Check this out, and you're going to think, why are we bringing this up? This is so powerful. This is one of those verses we skim by in the Bible, and we're like, oh, that was nice little useless information. Check this out, this is so powerful. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I don't bring this up to give you guys some baby name ideas, all right? I don't know any Manassehs, okay? Why do I bring this up? Because here's what Joseph is saying. This is incredibly powerful. He's saying, okay, things have turned around for me. I'm second in command in Egypt. This is pretty cool. Pharaoh put me in charge of all this. Pharaoh said, you know what? You're the man for this job. You're the guy that's going to save Egypt. You're the guy who's going to help us come up with this plan. And then Joseph says, okay, I've got some kids now. I'm going I'm to name kid number one Manasseh because it means God made me forget all my trouble. Why do we bring that up? Because some of you guys here tonight, you need what Joseph got. Joseph was healed from his hurt, and God is the one who healed him. Some of us cannot forgive because our hearts are so hard because we're so hurt. And we need God to heal us and make us forget all of our trouble, like Joseph. Right? Child number two, Ephraim, because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You know what a lot of us believe? I'll be fruitful when I get out of my land of suffering. I'll be fruitful when I get out of my prison. And here is Joseph saying, no, God, God, you've made me fruitful even in the midst of it. Even when the prison cell door was shut, I was fruitful. And that's what God wants to do in your life in the middle of your prison. But you can't do that when you have a hard heart toward God, toward those around you, or you're angry at yourself. You have to have a soft heart toward God. And some of you guys are here going, okay, Doug, great, that's wonderful. But how do I do that? Well, we're going to see that in a minute. But here's what we have to decide. We have to decide that we would rather be healed than be bitter. That being in this prison and thinking we're punishing somebody out there, it's not working. We have to decide we'd rather be healed and fruitful than bitter and unforgiving. And we're going to see how to do that here in just a few minutes. Verse 53 says, The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. So the dream comes true. And all the people start pouring into Egypt to buy grain. And uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob, hears 
about this. And look what it says in Genesis 42.5. So Israel's son, Israel's another name for Jacob, were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down. They what? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. This was 22 years after Joseph had the dream. That's a long time to wait for God to come through. But God did come through. This is 22 years after Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph is 39 years old here, which I actually hear is the age of perfection. I don't know what would make... Oh, that's right, I'm 39. That's right. But here's Joseph, right? All these years later, had the dream when he was 17, sold into slavery when he's 17. He's 39 now. And guys, listen to this. 13 of those 22 years he was in prison. Think about that. Man, 13 years in prison for a crime you didn't commit will mess you up if your heart is not soft toward God. I was reading about a guy named Thomas Webb III. Here's a picture of him up on the screens. And he was in prison in 1983, and he was accused of the same thing Joseph was, going after a woman who was trying to refuse him. In 1996, DNA evidence showed he was innocent, that he was not the man who went after this woman. And this poor man went through so much in prison that when he got out, he was, became addicted to drugs, alcohol, and became homeless. Because I'll tell you what, 13 years in a prison, especially when you're innocent, will mess you up. But here is Joseph. And Joseph has handled things totally differently because he kept his heart soft toward God because he saw something. What did he see? What did Joseph know that enabled him to keep his heart soft toward God? Well, here we have Joseph's brothers bowing down in front of him, just like the dream said. And think about this. The guys who put Joseph in the prison cell are down on the ground in front of him. What's he going to do? That's the question I have for you. When the people who put you in your prison are standing in front of you, what will you do? What does Joseph do? Well, Joseph actually, if you know the story, he actually puts them in prison. Some of you guys are like, yes. <laughs> Does that mean I get to put my people who put me in prison in prison? No. The reason Joseph put them in prison was to test their hearts. And for a few days and for a period of time, he gives them two different tests to see if they've changed. Are they different? Have they grown? Have they learned anything from what they went through? And the answer to that was yes. They were then willing to become people who would put others above themselves. And over the next several chapters, we see Joseph giving them them tests. And then Genesis 45.1 says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you have sold into Egypt. Can you imagine what these guys must have been feeling? Can you imagine how scared they must have been? But we're about to find out why Joseph could keep a soft heart toward God and toward them. Look at verse 5. So powerful. He says this, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Listen, because it was to save lives that God, that God, that God sent me ahead of you. Why was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? Why was he able to forgive Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, his dad, the cupbearer? Why was he not angry at God? Why was he able to forgive himself? 
because he saw the hand of God bringing good in his situation. He saw the providential hand of God. Providence is the means by which God directs all things towards a worthy purpose. A worthy purpose. A good purpose. And he kept his eyes on that, I think. Providence is the hand of God on a situation. Joseph was able to see that God had providentially sent him to Egypt. That there was purpose in his prison. That there was a destiny for him to accomplish in the midst of all of this. And I think he was able to keep his eyes on the why God sent him to Egypt. Think about it. God even orchestrated the famine to bring his brothers back to him. So that that dream could be fulfilled all those years earlier. And you know what? Some of you guys might here be thinking, you know, okay, we're talking about providence and it almost seems like fate or, you know, sovereignty of God. What about my free will? Do I still make choices? Yes, you do. So God is sovereign and he is providentially ruling over all things and yet we make free choices and we have a free will. Both are true. How's that true, Doug? I'm not quite sure. You could talk about that like for a really long time with God in heaven someday. There are things all around us going on scientifically that I really don't understand how to explain to you. It doesn't make them any less true, right? And so here's a situation where I'm not quite sure how it works that God's providentially ruling and we have free will, but, we, but it's, both are true. But let's move on a little bit here. Verse 7 says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, this is so powerful. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph is so focused on the hand of God bringing good out of his situation that he's able to forgive all the wrong that was done to him. I want you to think about this phrase. Providence produces forgiveness. When you can see the providence of God, the hand of God, on your situations, even those ones that seem so terrible and hurt so badly, you can forgive because you see the good that God is bringing. Here's what I want you to think about, right? When, when you hurt me, let's say you hurt me. When you hurt me, you know what I do? I take you and I put you on my hook, right? And I go, you're going to stay on my hook until you make this good. But do you know what Joseph was able to do? He was able to look back at his situation and say, I can see God making this good so I can take you off my hook. You see, the truth is, guys, we all sit around and wait and we go, okay, I'm going to keep them on my hook until they make this good. 99.9% of the time, the people who hurt you cannot make that good and won't make it good. But God can make it good. And when he does, you and I can take those people off the hook. Not necessarily to put ourselves in their path again to get trampled, but we can take them off the hook and we can genuinely forgive because God brings some amazing good out of these difficult situations. Joseph sent his brothers back to Egypt to get his dad. They bring him back. He lives there for a while, and then eventually he dies. And, and the brothers get nervous. They think that Joseph's going to get his revenge now that their father's dead. But look what it says in Genesis 50, verse 18. His brothers they, then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And here's this famous verse. This is so powerful. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Again, Joseph highlights the providential hand of God in his life, right? This is such a big deal. This is how we keep the soft heart toward God, toward others, and toward ourselves. It's when we keep our eyes 
on God's hand and the good that he's bringing out. I think this is what kept Joseph sane in the midst of all of his prisons was the thought that God was up to something. God was going to use it all for good. Nothing was wasted. There was purpose in his prison. So let me give you some examples of how I think this plays out in our life, right? So person who gossiped meant you harm, but God used it to build character. Person who put you down meant you harm, but God used it to help you learn how to get your identity from him, right? I mean, who cares what this person and that person has to say about me when I know what God says about me, right? The sickness or the financial situation meant to destroy you, but God used it to build your faith. What about the trial? The trial came to hurt you, but instead of it hurting you, it opened your eyes to who Jesus was. One of my favorite illustrations about this is, I've told some of you guys this before, but years ago, when there was a flood upstate New York, it wiped out an entire town, and our church went up there to help out, and we were just one of many churches who went that summer to literally rebuild this town. And we got up there, and one of the pastors was talking about how so many people in the town were impacted by all these churches coming and loving the people in this town. And this one woman got saved in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this difficulty in this town. And when she got saved, she said to the pastor, I want you to baptize me, but I want to be baptized in the river that flooded. He said, why do you want to be baptized in the river that caused all this devastation? She said, because if it hadn't been for that river flooding, I never would have found who Jesus was. What is that? That's a trial that was meant for evil, but that God's providential hand used for good. And so you and I have to see, man, Joseph kept his heart soft toward God because he saw the hand of God and all the good that it would bring, even in the midst of his pain and his trouble. And the same is true for you and me. We're just going to close with this last verse here, verse 21. So then don't be afraid, Joseph says. I will provide for you and your children. Think about that. Joseph has the power to either give his brothers food for them and their families or let them all starve. And he says, don't don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do good to you even though you threw me into a pit and sold me as a slave. And the only reason I can do that is because the providence of God produces this forgiveness in my heart. And so Joseph has been through so much, right? Four prisons, slavery, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed by the people he worked for. Forgotten about by the cupbearer, but through it all, he's able to keep his heart soft. And I think it's because he kept his eye on God's providence. And here's what I hope you guys are getting tonight. As seeing God's hand of providence protects our hearts from bitterness. That's what I hope you'll take away from this tonight. That when you can see God's hand of providence in your situation, it'll protect your heart from the bitterness that can so easily well up inside you and inside of me. This is what Joseph, I think, was focused on the whole time. What good is God going to bring? What's he going to do in the midst of all this pain? See, that's the thing I need you to think about. This week, as you think about the person that hurt you, or maybe you're mad at God, or maybe you're mad at yourself, here's what I need you to be asking. God, what are you up to in my prison cell? What good are you trying to bring out of my prison cell? So my wife has been sick since uh, the end of January, in and out of the hospital, good days, bad days, it's been crazy. But I can tell you all kinds of amazing things that God has brought out of this already. First one I'll tell you is I am now a morning person, thank you very much. <laughs> Took me 39 years, but I made it. And it was just the fact I had to be up, I had to be taking care of the kids, I had to be taking care of her, and I, you know they say it takes six weeks to form a new habit, for me it took six months, but here I am, right? 
morning person. Can't go back. All right. Turn me into an on-time person. All my life, I've been pretty much a late person. But you know what? I just couldn't be. I had to have the kids at school at a certain time. I had to be at work, and then I had to go pick up the kids, and I had to have Kelly at a doctor's office or a hospital or whatever it might be, and turn me into an on-time person. I'll take it, right? Unified our church. Pat, who's running lights tonight at our all-staff meeting on Wednesday, said that one of the things he's seen God do over this last period of time is he's seen God unify our church around the difficulty that my wife was going through. Another thing then, right after Pat said that, Kelly raised her hand and through tears said, I've just seen God use the situation in my life to show me the love of the, of the people in this church. It's such a powerful, powerful degree. Um, it's helped our kids understand that life is hard, but God is always good. It's helped our dependency on God be deepened. It's, it's taken us into deeper times, times of prayer, deeper times of worship, deeper times in God's word. It, uh, it helped one of our doctors maybe possibly be reached by God. One day, uh, at one of our last appointments, one of the doctors came in and said, you know, I think you're doing better. I can't quite explain why. It probably has something to do with the man upstairs, uh, which that's God, by the way, in case some of you guys are like, who, oh, someone upstairs? I don't know. Okay, in case you're wondering later in the week, that's who that was about. But we have seen so much good come out of this really difficult time. And I don't want to be in that prison cell anymore, man. In fact, I said out loud today, this stinks. <laughs> I said that today about the situation that we're in. But I can see so much good coming out. And the same will be true for you. As you guys have difficulty in life, because we live in a broken world. And we're going to get hurt by people. We're going to have a choice to keep our hearts soft toward God and soft toward others and soft toward our own mistakes and the own prisons we, we, we make for ourselves. And it all comes by keeping our eyes on the hand that is provident over all our situations. Because that providence produces forgiveness. And seeing God's hand of providence protects our hearts from that bitterness. And so you and I need to be asking those questions. God, what are you up to in my prison cell? What are you accomplishing here? God, I can see your hand in the middle of my prison cell. So before the door opens, I can be fruitful here. I can be healed here. Maybe you can't even say that. Maybe you can't say you can see the hand of God, but maybe you can say, but God, I've been in the prison before and I saw your hand there and so I know I'll see it again here. Some of you guys, man, you can take those people off that hook, not because they made it good, but because God made good out of those situations. Those people will never make good out of those situations, but because God has, you can take them off the hook. Could, could Joseph's brothers have ever undone what, what they did to him. I mean, they could say they're sorry. They could ask forgiveness. But could they ever erase the 13 years Joseph was in prison environments? Could they ever erase the psychological damage they must have done to him by throwing him in a pit and telling their father he was dead? They never could have made that right. And so Joseph just kept his eyes on the fact that God could make it right. God could bring good. And that changed everything. And here's what happens when you and I keep a soft heart toward God in the midst of our prison. Here's what happens. We will be healed. We'll be able to say, like Joseph, God made me forget all my troubles. We will be fruitful even in the land of our suffering. And we will be able to look at those who have hurt us and look at God and look ourselves in the mirror and say, I forgive you. I forgive you because I can see the providential hand of God making good out of all this. So I told you about Thomas Webb III earlier, right? I told you that he was wrongfully in prison for 13 years and, and then he was released and he became homeless and he was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but I didn't finish the story. 
Because the end of the story is that Thomas Webb is a strong Christian today. And Thomas Webb, the third, put his trust in Jesus. And in his own words, he says, I know God's hand has been directing and guiding my life. In fact, one day, the woman who wrongfully accused him came up to him and said, would you forgive me? And he did. They're friends now. Listen to what Thomas Webb says. He says this about his story. It's a story of inability. It's a story of helplessness. It's a story of injustice. There's all the bad stuff, right? That's where we all start out. This is all the stuff we often look at in our jail cell, all the bad. But look at what he says next. But then there's another part of it that shows miracle after miracle and shows that no human power, no system could stop. It shows another side that is full of power, full of justice, full of hope and faith and inspiration. Thomas Webb is recognizing the providential hand of God in his situation, and it makes all the difference. And the same is true for you and for me. You see, Thomas Webb wasn't just freed from alcoholism and drug addiction and homelessness, and he wasn't just freed out of a literal prison. No, he was freed from keeping people on that hook because he realized that God is good, and he brings good, even when we're in the middle of our prison cell. Providence produces forgiveness. And seeing God's hand of providence protects our hearts from bitterness. And so I hope tonight you're not just hearing me say, you should really forgive. I hope tonight you're seeing how to forgive. It's by keeping your eye on the fact that God's going to bring good time and time and time and time again out of the most broken situations you go through. If you're not a father of Jesus, I hope tonight you're hearing about this amazing God who does amazing things. And you might think, but Doug, it's just not fair that I've gone through such hard things. Well, nobody knows that better than Jesus up on a cross in your place. Nobody knows it's not fair better than Jesus as he's there being crucified for your sin and my sin. And the biggest prison God ever broke us out of was the prison of our guilt and our sin and our shame. And tonight, if you want a relationship with Jesus, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him in just a minute. But if you're a follower of Jesus, man, I hope tonight you will say, hey man, forgiving people forgive. And this providential hand of God, it's going to produce some serious forgiveness in my heart because God, whether I can see it yet or not, is going to bring good out of these difficult situations. And so you have a choice. Be bitter or be healed. Be a prisoner or be free. Be someone who's fruitful or be someone who's angry. But there's a God who wants to partner with you to bring the healing and then make you fruitful and enable you to take people off that hook because seeing God's hand providence protects our hearts from bitterness let's pray God we love you and we just need you and this is a a tall order here tonight God this is not always easy stuff but we thank you that you make it possible and that you're able God to give us those soft hearts and so would you help us tonight if you're a Christian here tonight and you just need to pray about that pray about that question I brought up earlier God what are you doing in my prison cell what good are you trying to bring what provident providential um, reasoning do you have, Lord, to have me in this prison cell right now? Pray through that. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, I would encourage you to pray something like this, just quietly. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving yourself in my place on the cross. Thank you, God, that you died so I, I wouldn't be separated from you and I would go to heaven and be with you when I die. Forgive me for my sin, God. Show me how loved I am. Show me how forgiven I am. And make me a person who forgives others your name.